0: The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. Welcome into episode 277 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast. Luke Lipinski alongside Craig Morgan.
1: Matthew Hattie.
0: Fancy. And Steve Peters.
1: I don't know, I got nothing still. Welcome. I was going to go with HK. I'll explain HK later. We'll talk about HK. HK. We're
0: going HK. with HK. All right. It sounds like it's like a puzzle. It's a story. It's an inside.
1: It's an an inside the locker room coyote singing. I will share it today. HK. Oh, stay tuned for however long this podcast goes for HK.
0: All right, guys. How are you doing? Before we get into this, we got about two and a half weeks left in the Coyotes regular season. I don't even know how long in the regular NHL season with, with all these other teams getting pushed back. Uh, Let's just say three and a half weeks left in the season.
1: Yeah, You know, it's exciting. We're still talking playoff hockey, and we're still mentioning the Coyotes, although we've seen them slip a little bit over the last eight games. You know, we're still talking Coyotes playoffs with under 10 games to go, so that's a good good thing this time of year.
2: Also, Luke is still in
0: reverse witness protection. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think I may have figured out how to fix it, but now I just don't want to because I have to record a podcast later, and I need it blurred. Don't ask. I, kind of like so I just, I just need it blurred. No one really um, knows where Luke is right now. No, it's that's, that's probably better that way. I could be anywhere in the, in the continental U.S. Uh, let's let's start national since we started with the Coyotes last week, and uh, let's begin. Uh, let's let's go with Taylor Hall in Boston right now. That seems like a much better fit than Taylor Hall in Buffalo. Who would have thought?
1: You know, we said it last week. Since he's joined the Bruins and he's not the guy, the Bruins are five and zero and making a push in the standings in the East, Uh, you know, I thought the standings were set one to four. Um, You know, they, they've got two games in hand on Washington and and first place, honestly, is not out of reach for them. Uh, He's, he might've find a home, found a home for himself there. I think he's playing better. I think he fits better. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him sign in, in the very near future.
0: I really want a Bruins-Capitals first-round matchup, which is what we're lined up for right now. But like Petey just said, one win can throw everything off. I don't think we're going to get that. Uh, I fear we're going to get a Penguins-Capitals first-round matchup, but Boston-Washington would just be outstanding.
1: Yeah, you know what? It still can happen. You know, those two teams have met. I I just did a study on that twice in the last 20 years in the playoffs. It did not bode well for for Boston the last few times they met. Uh, This is a good Boston team. Look out for them in the playoffs. Yeah,
2: Anthony you know, Mantha too. If you get hot this late in the season, I man, it can really carry over. Uh, we've been wondering what what was going on with Boston. Apparently, they made the right moves, at least for now. That's going to be a fun team to watch. I feel badly for the New York Rangers, especially because Steve Peters enlightened us on goal differential, and they're going to have a a really yeah, impressive goal stand differential it. this year and miss yeah. the playoffs.
1: You know, they'll have the best goal differential as on paper right now in, in the whole division. Um, and they've had a lot of you know good things happen to them this year. I think it's a team on the rise. I think it's a team to look out for next year. You know, unfortunately, the playoffs are a little bit out of reach for them this year, unless there's a mammoth collapse by somebody above them. Um, but it's a team on the on the going in the right direction.
0: They'd be pretty comfortably locked into a playoff spot. It looks like in two of these divisions. I mean, that's just sort of the this happens to one or two teams every year. And the other guy, I would just throw in there because we did talk about it briefly last week. I don't. Unless I missed a game, Anthony Mantha has not played a game in Washington where he hasn't scored, right, every single game.
1: Yeah, you know, you looked at that trade and you go, gosh, he was a really good piece. But, you know, Detroit Vrana scoring, I I think it ended up being one of those rare instances that it's a good trade for both teams.
0: Uh, Sam Bennett, too, we should mention in Florida. He's doing the same thing where he scores every night. And Florida, that division, I mean, (laughs) I think – I don't want to speak for you guys since you're both here. Uh, I still think Tampa is is the team to beat in the playoffs out of that division. There's a pretty good chance they finish in third in that division and have to play either Florida or Carolina in the first round, now.
1: Yeah, they trade, you know, the first place spot in that division changes literally day by day. Um, I would no chance would I bet against t- Tampa Bay once the playoffs start, though. Um, I wouldn't want to play them. So the, you look at that division though, and we talked about it for the last two weeks is who's going to get that fourth spot. You know, it looked like Nashville was on a tear and they were in that is no longer the case. You know, with Dallas with three games in hand and only two points behind, look out for Dallas. And if Nashville doesn't make up, I'd be surprised if there isn't a big shakeup in Nashville.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's that. It still felt like a team that was on the decline. I, I, I I picked them to miss the playoffs when we, when we started all this. We're going to have to go back and look at our predictions, by the way, Luke, and see how we did when this is all said and done. But I still think that's a team on the decline. The bottom of this division, it just isn't very good, but the top is very good. It's, it's an interesting, I mean, it's, it's in some ways it's like the West where the divide between the, the top and bottom teams is wide.
1: Yeah. What's good. What's interesting, I think for this season, because of the new divisions is what kind of rivalries it created in a short period of time that now will no longer exist next year. And you're going to see back to normal as it were next year with or a few coyotes. adjustments like the coyotes joining <laughs> the central. Um, but it's just interesting to see how, how this is, change so quickly specifically in the north i mean the north you know is attracted to the hockey world north of the border where every game is important and every game's you know two canadian teams and you know tv viewing is up and hockey talk is up it's going to be interesting to see this all go back to the quote-unquote normal next year
0: We do. I'll try and pull up those predictions before the end of the season, Craig, because I actually think we we did pretty well. I'm looking at at least two of these divisions where I had every team right. I didn't have Pittsburgh again, so I know I missed that one, and I don't think I had Montreal in, although they might not make it. Uh, Also, Craig always puts it at the top of the notes, and I always forget it. Rate and review the show. If you do that, more people can hear it, and then we'll keep doing it. Um, Toronto, playing Vancouver twice. Vancouver, I mean, we talked about this at length last week. Should they even be making them play? I'm not the, the world's biggest fan of Vancouver fans just from growing up around there. I hope they make it and I hope they go on this crazy run and make it. It has been a great story through two games at least beating Toronto twice and just the Toronto market. You would think, you would think that the Maple Leafs lost to like a Pee Wee team and the Leafs were getting contracted out of the league. They lost to an NHL team and they're still in first place. But man, that Toronto market is, it's just so fun this time of year. As long as they are not succeeding,
2: they got some goaltending issues. That's for sure. I mean, it sounds like Freddie Anderson is going to be back, but they've got some goaltending issues. All the Jack Campbell stuff—that's uh, that's fallen by the wayside, hasn't it? He's really struggled. And you're right, Luke. I'm I'm kind of with you. Vancouver would have to go on some kind of epic tear, but they they have the games in hand if they can go on that kind of tear. And can you imagine if they if if we saw this matchup in the first round? Toronto yeah. fans would be losing their minds ahead of the series.
1: Yeah. I, I think, you know, Toronto, you look at Riddich was a goaltender in one of those games. He didn't play his best after his first game there in Toronto. Um, Winnipeg's coming on. Blake Wheeler's coming back. And I've, I've said it all along. I think Winnipeg's going to be really dangerous in the playoffs in the North. Edmonton is still going to be a threat. I don't see Vancouver um, catching Montreal. That, that's a big, that's a big, big hill to climb in such you know such a short period of time in Vancouver, they got an emotional burst. they're back on the ice. they kind of won their little you know battle with the league and with the PA so they had a little boost there. Guys, for whatever you, you want to say, they were there were some players that were ill, obviously, but they did get some rest, which is much needed this time of year. I don't expect that burst from the Vancouver Canucks to last very long. And I, I think they end up right where they're sitting right now. Maybe they catch Calgary, but, but they're on the outside looking in when this thing starts. And you're going to be looking at Montreal Toronto. Yeah, it was a big win, win, by the way.
0: No, but it was a big win for Montreal last night to kind of, to, it does seem like the top four spots are locked up. All I want out of this division at this point. With uh, with what Pete just said about Winnipeg, I would love a a Toronto Edmonton first round matchup if the Jets could catch the Leafs for first place, and we get that two three of Austin Matthews versus Connor McDavid in the first round. That's the only series I'll be watching when it's on.
1: Yeah, that's gonna be that's. I mean, it, all the hockey up when we get to playoffs is gonna be exciting. But there's so many skilled players in the league right now, and that North Division, that style of wide open, high skill skating, speed, uh, that's gonna be a great division to watch right up until the semifinals. When somebody's gonna to have to move north or south of the border and disrupt their their home arena. I, I'm concerned about how that's gonna look still, um, but it's gonna be fun getting up to that point.
0: Um, I do feel like we, sh- we have a responsibility to pass on to the listening audience that the Buffalo Sabres are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. That just popped up on the So, Wow. If you, if you were a Sabres fan, you were holding out hope. It's not going to happen this year. It's not, not your year. No, it's not. It's not your decade. Um, all right, let's 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 get over to uh, St. Louis in the Coyotes division. They're going to play 12 games in 21 days uh, because of what happened with Colorado. The Blues schedule is brutal, but they've now got, what, four? Three games in hand, four, four. games in four. hand after the Coyotes game last night, and they're only back a point. So, I mean, this it's right there for St. Louis. They're just going to have to go through Colorado and Minnesota to get there. Yeah. I mean, if they go two and two, the Coyotes are still alive, right? But, it's yeah,
2: yeah just it just doesn't look good. And Connor Garland is out of the lineup now. I'm not sure he's going to come back this season, I have to be honest. I, yeah, so this is – the Coyotes, the Coyotes—you saw it last night. Forty shots on goal; they can't score. They just can't finish. They played—I thought they played a, a, a terrific, at least the first period. I thought they played a good game, but they just can't finish. They just don't have those elite finishers. Say what you want about Cam Talbot—he played well,
1: but he yeah,
2: back too many times.
1: And we talk about so many variables going down the stretch here. You know, the Coyotes have nine games. St. Louis has thirteen. St. Louis, we said earlier, oh, they have to play the the Avs three times. Well, they do. What they're getting a depleted Avalanche squad without Rantanen, without Grubauer. All three games are in St. Louis. Um, you know, two weeks ago you said, "Gosh, those games are going to be tough for St. Louis to win." The Avs are on a roll. The Avs haven't played in eight days, so again, they may have be rested. But so is St. Louis, and now you're an Avalanche squad that has injuries. So. St. Louis, if they get one of those wins, that's going to be tough for the Coyotes. I, I I did a lot of math this morning, and I know this isn't a math show. There's something linear. I will talk about that later. But, um, so the Coyotes, I figure they need seven wins. I think they need to go. They got seven and two. If they get seven and two and that, they don't have to beat the Knights. Um, they just have to beat the Sharks and Kings. If they can do that. And I know that's, again, a tall order because a lot of those games are on the road. But until, you know, the, the, the paper comes out the next morning and with the asterisk saying you're eliminated from the playoffs, you're not eliminated. And paper. paper. Yeah, paper. I know. See, dating paper. myself. I am the oldest guy here. And then the other thing is the Coyotes could finish on Saturday, May 8th against the Sharks. And not know their fate until the 13th, five days later. So they may have to continue practicing, getting on the ice and treatments and all of those things, waiting for the, you know, the Kings and the Blues to finish. So it's going to be an interesting spot. Usually everybody finishes on a Sunday afternoon. Everybody knows what's happening. You're, you're literally on the bench having people run out scores to you during the game. And, um, that's not going to happen this year.
0: Yeah, that's, that's going to be excruciating if you if you wrap up that last game and you're up like two points and you have to watch St. Louis play out the string. And obviously that's not the way the league wanted it. There's not really much that can be done, but that's that's still going to be rough. Because like you just said, Petey, you're still going to have to practice then as if you're playing, and then one day you might just not practice anymore. Um, I want to ask you guys about this. Craig, you mentioned it, the game against Minnesota last night. I really thought they outplayed Minnesota for the good chunk of that game. I thought they dominated the first period. Kim Talbot's been really good all season. He's been especially great against the Coyotes. Last night, I thought he got a little bit lucky, but either way, they still found a way to win. The Coyotes are one and four in their last five games. They've outshot the opposition 160 to 112. So I know shots on goal don't tell the entire story, but like last night's shot attempts were 75 36. PD, I'll start with you. What is that? Is that just a lack of being able to finish? Is that you're, you're working too many new guys? I mean, Last night, I felt like they outplayed Minnesota, did everything right, but didn't put the puck in the net. And that's been a theme lately.
1: Yeah, and sometimes, sometimes, Luke, that's honestly just the hockey gods. I mean, they they were a really good team the first period. I, I thought that harkened back to the, earlier in the season. They were flying. That's the fastest I've seen the Coyotes look. In a month. I mean, as a four line group, they were moving fast. Uh, Lawson Kraus was shot out of a cannon. I mean, they looked really strong and very quick. And you know what? A lot of those shot attempts, you could tell that that was a focus of that team to get pucks on net. I mean, they weren't always great shot selections. They were, there were, you know, some from the exterior, but, you know, that they did have a lot of good looks. There's posts. There were some big saves, some lucky saves. As Craig said, they just couldn't finish, and that's been a problem with the Coyotes for years—the inability to score those goals. And and you go to the Minnesota side of the puck, and, and you know, you look at the third period, and Kaprizov has the puck on that rush. You go, wow, what a great rush has the puck behind the net. Two coyotes are back and you go, okay, the play is over. The coyotes dodged a bullet. Yet he finds a way to score because he finds a way to score. And I think that that's the difference in the two teams right now, Minnesota scoring and finding a way and Arizona just isn't. And and that's, you know, it's unfortunate, but they're going to have to get over that hump at some point. you, You know, Craig alluded to Connor Garland being out of the lineup Connor brings energy every time he touches the ice, but offensively, eh, you know, he's got 10 goals on the season, one in his last 16. I mean, he hasn't been the offensive threat that he was last year for certain and early this year. So they just can't find the scoring from anywhere except Jacob Chikrin.
2: Go look at some of Minnesota's goals too. I was doing this with Mike Rousseau. Some of the goals that they've scored in the series, the quality, the the skill of some of the shots – on the goals they've scored, are just unbelievable. They've scored some beautiful goals.
1: Yeah. That's, you know what, uh, Craig, we've said it before, that this is a team that's overachieved. And I know Billy Garen in his press conference said he didn't like the label overachieving because he thinks they have a good team. But I don't think there's many that, that saw this team as a top three in the West coming in. Um, they're playing exceptionally well. They're playing together. Um, they're rolling lines. And, and they're tough defensively. So this is a team... Honestly, could be reckoned with in the playoffs. I mean, they've they've played well against Vegas and Colorado. Um, I know this isn't their window of opportunity. Uh, they're thinking that's a year or two down the road, but they, they could have a long run here in the playoffs this year.
0: Well, the good news for the Coyotes is they are they are playing. They're doing a lot of things well, and they're done with Minnesota. But yeah, I mean, no Connor Garland. I think that the team said week to week earlier today, and uh, and certainly they got to find a way to finish um but i guess last thing on that you know at this level is that mental at this point that the, the, the puck's not going in and, and this recent stretch or is there more to it because yeah i mean to craig's point minnesota and, and to your point too pd i mean Kaprizov is a special example i get that but minnesota looks like they expect to score when they get a decent chance and after a game like last night you just as a coach you don't want that to get into your guys mentality that it's just not going to go in right
1: no, it is hard. and There's so many things about this game that are momentum-based or mental-based. Um, winning and losing is definitely one of them. When you're winning, you keep winning. And when you're losing, you keep losing. Same thing holds true when you're talking about goal scoring. Sometimes the puck is just going in. You're around it, and it's going in for a bunting. Perfect example. He's around it every night. And he's a threat to score. Um, is he the most talented Coyote? But by no means is he the most talented Coyote. It's just happening for him. And when it's happening, you have more confidence. Your skates are a little lighter. You move a little quicker um your shots a little harder so those things definitely are mental and when you're not scoring you're not scoring and and i think you can look at at, at Lawson Krauss is a perfect example of that this year where he's hit posts and he's been close or he's been around it but he just can't finish and that gets into your head and it's just hard to get over that hump um that's why you see goals scored in such streaky stretches as they are because of that the way you're feeling you know you get up and you feel great that day and it's just easier to score
0: I give a piece up on AZ Coyotes Insider. I just read it this morning. So look at that. that look at me supporting my my fellow co hosts on the show. Um, asking the question is it better or worse for the Coyotes to sneak into the playoffs and have to play either most likely Colorado or Vegas? Minnesota could catch Vegas. And I don't think they can catch Colorado.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to rehash the whole thing, but I just looked at it from a number of angles, pro and con. I did, didn't take a position on it in the end. But there's, I mean, there are arguments to be made on both sides of it. If and and one of those is okay, if they make the playoffs, fine. It's you can say it's it's more evaluation of the, those players that you need to look at. It's great experience for these guys. But if it's another, forgive me, avalanche like it was last year. Wow. Can that can that hurt a team too? Can it hurt a team's psyche? Can it hurt their confidence? And then you know there are a number of other angles to look at here as well from a revenue standpoint. I don't think these these post this postseason is going to be nearly as impactful as. Past postseason, so I'm not even sure they're going to make money off of it. There's a lot of things to consider here, but I, I'd rather hear your guys' thoughts on it if you actually do, read the piece.
1: Do you have an opinion, Craig?
2: I don't know. I'm all over the map on this one. Really? I mean, there's, there's nothing. I mean, in the end, I guess I say get in because you can't get high draft picks. You, you don't have a first round pick. Um, the scouting's been spotty, so if you jump up a couple spots in the second round, does that really matter? Is there anything really to be gained by missing other than maybe not having your confidence hurt and maybe getting a little more rest
1: and healing time and off season time to do what you need to do. I don't know. I can only speak from my experience and what I know. Uh, I've been in coaching rooms in the national hockey league for almost 25 years. And there is never a game. You don't want to win. There's never a playoffs you don't want to make. Um, I don't see any argument from again, Craig, from the coaches room that they're not sitting there going, we we don't want to make the playoffs. Absolutely, they're trying to make the playoffs. And it's, you know what? That's, that's what being an athlete's about. You, you yeah, want to win. You want to compete. So what I think what I think, the problem is, yeah, you don't want to go in there and get swept. But I've been in series where we were against Datsuk and Zetterbo- Zetterberg in Detroit. Had no chance. Sackic and Forsberg in Colorado. Again, very little chance. But you know what? You make a game plan. you you try and that experience going through the preparation of a playoff series is so much different than a preparation in the day-to-day activities of a regular season. I think that experience is invaluable for young players. Now, having said that, that's from the coaching perspective and the players. There isn't a guy in that room that's going to say, hey, we don't want to make the playoffs. There isn't. I'd be extremely surprised if anybody would come out, well, it's not good for us to get beat by four. That gets different when you get up in the management suite and the ownership suite. They have different motivations. They have different thoughts and they have different plans. And so their their thought process may be different. But I can only go, again another example. I know the year that Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel, We're we're in the draft. The Coyotes team was not very good that year. You know, they, they were last, second to the last, or third to last, almost the entire season. And I know going into every game, that last 15 games, Dave Tippett and that staff did everything to win that game that they were playing that night. And I know Don Maloney was sitting up in the press box going, yeah, it's probably okay if we don't win tonight. And, and, you know, I don't want to say that it's okay if we lose. because the, They're competitive and they don't want to lose. But from the GM perspective, he's going, yeah, you know, it's okay if if we don't win this one. And, and I tell you what, Don Maloney it kind of handcuffed Tippett with the players he made available every night um, that the Coyotes were able to put on the ice. But guess what? At the end of the season, the Coyotes finished second to last And they didn't guarantee themselves one of the top two because of the ping pong balls. And they end up with Dylan Strom instead of Eichel and McDavid, which could change your franchise for years. So how important were those four or five extra wins during that year? You know, it's debatable for Coyote fans uh, on where you sit on that. But I know for the coaches. they're just trying to win and i know rick Tockett this morning is getting up and planning on winning those three games on this california trip and their only goal right now is to make the playoffs
2: i think the mistake was acquiring martin erad at the uh trade (laughs) over the hump
1: yeah get us over the hump the martin erad deal
2: he could have have, maloney could have taken the other attack and just started trading goaltenders as soon as they won a game uh, like like Buffalo. buffalo
0: They yeah. ended up working out really well for Buffalo too. They got Eichel and, and have sidetracked the first five years of his career. The the Just the bitter irony is the team that actually had a better record than the Coyotes and Buffalo is the one that actually got McDavid. Um, yep. yeah. Going back to that debate though, and maybe I'm the eternal optimist here and look, I, I fully acknowledge you've, you've left the door too wide open for St. Louis to feel comfortable right now. If you're the Coyotes, I still think they'll take care of business against San Jose. And, and I think LA is maybe a little too far back. Um, I mean, I definitely, I want to get in because I have Darcy Kemper and and I know that there's at least a chance Darcy Kemper can steal me a couple games in a playoff series. I will say this, Rick Tocket has this team playing very hard and that's why it's been sort of tough to watch over the last last five games, especially they're not getting rewarded for, for playing as well as, as I think they've played. There's been some games this year where they've just gotten massively outplayed. I don't think it's happened too much lately. If I get in, and i would assume you guys would agree i'd much rather face vegas than colorado and really as as the coyotes probably even more so than minnesota i know they haven't beat vegas much this year but they've played them pretty closely in all but like one and a half games craig
2: yeah i mean i don't i mean i just I don't want the, colorado i mean there's two more games left with no i don't want colorado i don't want minnesota yeah see so <laughs> you see how i minnesota got to I mean, they have a better winning percentage against the Avalanche and the Golden Knights than they do against the Wild. They went 1-7 against Minnesota. That's hard to do. That's yeah. really hard to do. They haven't finished the season series with Vegas, so I guess right now I'm still leaning toward Vegas, but I don't feel good about any of those series. Well, it,
1: All three of those series are one-sided, in my opinion. One of the things with Vegas, they always seem to play just good enough to win, and you saw it with their two games against San Jose this week. Uh just good enough to win. They didn't look overpowering, they didn't look incredible. They were good enough to win, which is all you need to be. Um the one thing interesting from the Coyotes perspective there is the loss of Ryan Reeves. Um I know he is a huge factor when he hits the ice against the Coyotes and he's won't be available for Vegas. So I think that really helps the Coyotes. Vegas wins with transition and speed. And the Coyotes feel they can skate with anybody. So clearly that's the matchup they're hoping for if they can get in Colorado to me. The only, and I don't want to say the only chance because that's not fair, but you know, it's a team that's one injury away from being not as dominating, which is what happened to them last year in the bubble. You know, one injury and then another injury. And then they just, they weren't the same team. Um, I don't know if they're as deep as Vegas, um, but I'm sure the Coyotes right now, I, I, I would be surprised if there's a coaching staff that they're they're not preparing playoff packets on both of those teams right now. I mean,
2: yeah, I, it, Vegas he, is deeper, but Colorado has more top-end talent. And, for sure. Yeah, and Vegas, to me, Vegas, it, it's the center position. I keep going back to this, but I don't, I don't think they have elite center play, and I think that could cost them in the end. Yeah.
1: Well, let's hope, Craig. A week from now, we're still talking about it.
2: Yeah, I'm into that. By the way, this this story that I wrote on uh, whether they should get in the playoffs or not is was just a crazy talker. It's got like sixty comments on it. It's unbelievable. People are all over the map on this one. So I, I had a feeling it would be one of those that just generated discussion. And quite honestly, I had nothing else to write that day, so I just came up with this.
0: <laughs> are people really on both sides of it though? Like to me, they it, are. It's, they it's are, a no brainer. I just went in.
2: Hey, Look, yeah, they're all they're all over all over the I, map. One. And that's the, I, again, that's the, uh, it's, it's the player coach's perspective versus outside perspectives. People have different perspectives when they're you know, outside the game. And there are some arguments to be made for it. There really are. are.
0: I, but I, I feel like, and I haven't seen the arguments people are making, so I, I, I should go, I guess, look at the comments section. But I feel like too many times in these situations, even in the other sports, the thought is always, oh, we'll get a better draft pick. Like, if you're telling me if I lose two more games, I get Connor McDavid, okay, that's one thing. If you're telling me I missed the playoffs and I get a slightly higher pick in the second round of a draft where nobody can scout, I don't care. That does, that does nothing for me. It's not like I'm losing the pick completely.
2: Yeah, I laid that out in the story, too, um, with the draft pick. and made it very clear. So I think everybody that commented understood that.
0: Um, speaking of being able to scout for the draft, the uh, OHL, no season. and um, That's not a I mean, problem, is it? The, the, no. the league that produces the most draft picks
2: every year won't have a season? No, not at
1: all. Yeah, you know what? It's going to be difficult. I know some of the premier players in that league did opt out and go to to Europe earlier, so they were able to get on the ice. Um, The American League changed the rules a little bit, so they were able to get a few of those players that were already drafted into the American League. Um, I don't know how, how these NHL teams are going to draft these players. They haven't played competitive hockey in a year. I don't know how you rank those kids. I don't know how you can get a, a fair assessment. So what I think that, that, that breeds is there's going to be some surprise draft picks. So somebody that you pick late is going to, you know, be a late bloomer and and be a better player than you thought. And conversely, you're going to draft someone high that just doesn't pan out because yeah. they haven't played. I think it's a really unfortunate situation. And, you know, the health dynamics here in Arizona are so much different than they are in Ontario right now. I mean, with the, you know, accessibility to vaccines here um, versus there. And, you know, they had a late surge versus our surge last summer. It's just, it's a different health element. and And, you know, you can't judge what, the, the government did there in health and protecting the health of young kids. Um, it's just unfortunate that they didn't get to play.
2: With this draft, by the way, this and this is the point that Bill Armstrong has made repeatedly, he really thinks that some players are going to drop into the second, maybe the third round that are better than that. And it, it affords a team like the Coyotes opportunity. Of course, that that begs the question, okay, then why didn't you sell off mm-hmm. some of your UFAs and try and get into the second and third round and acquire more picks if you think that sort of opportunity is
1: available? Yeah, and the only thing I could say to that, Craig, and I agree 100% when they stood pat at the trade deadline um, thinking they could have at least got a second or a third, I I guess we don't know what the offers were for those players. If it's not in the top three, I don't know. Even a fourth for some of those players. Maybe those offers just weren't there. But but I agree. I can't believe that they didn't attempt. And maybe they did. We'll never know. Um, but Goligosky's you're right.
2: The one player like Goligoski is the guy. He definitely would have brought that sort of pick.
1: I would think so. I, I would think so. And he's the guy for me too.
0: Yeah. He's been one of their better players too. Really. <laughs> the sure last month and a half. He really playing um, good hockey. As far as that draft, I mean. It, like Rookie of the Year next year is is probably – we're not going to see a lot of impact players instantly from this. They're like Quentin Byfield's going to win Rookie of the Year, right, because he's already been drafted. He's not in the league yet. That's going to be somebody like that. I don't know that anybody from the actual 2021 draft class is going to step in as an 18-year-old and win Rookie of the Year, because I don't know how many of them are even going to get to play.
2: By the way, the CHL-NHL agreement is up for renegotiation. Now ev- everyone's saying it's probably going to get re-upped, which is a shame in my opinion because I hate that agreement. I think it's a disservice to players it it serves leagues and it serves revenue rather than serving players but boy it would be it would be really cool if they decided to scrap that thing wouldn't it
1: uh, Yeah, yeah. You'd, I mean you'd be you'd see a better path and development path to the NHL for these kids for sure you'd see an improved American league um but but I'm with you Craig I don't think it happens there's too much money to these Canadian junior teams um I just don't see it happening Yeah
0: um speak and uh, for the record yes I obviously completely agree we've seen it happen with coyotes players and prospects and i know it's happening across the league where guys just kind of get caught in that no man's land, where it's like you're too good for for your ohl team or your whatever whl and then uh but you can't go develop in the ahl so you just end up wasting a year of a of, of huge right. potential development um speaking of the ahl Craig, are we really going to add another team in Arizona? I mean, we <laughs> hear so much for so long how hockey doesn't work here. We're going to have three teams. Yeah, I
2: don't know if you read uh, Rick Dollywall's, uh, uh, or it was actually on a, uh, it was on the air actually. It was part of their their show. Um, but Elliot Friedman mentioned it in his thirty-one thoughts, um, and there there are legs to this. It's absolutely uh, under consideration that the Canucks are looking at the possibility of moving their AHL affiliate to a Western site. They're the only Pacific Division team right now that does not have an affiliate in the West. You remember that mass migration a couple seasons ago where everybody moved out here. They're looking at Abbotsford up in BC, which I don't think makes any sense because it's not close to any of the other affiliates in the Pacific division. And, and what Rick said is they're leaning toward an American site. So it's probably between Salt Lake city and Prescott Valley, which already has the Finley Toyota center, which seats about 5,100 people. It's the perfect size for an AHL team. I, I guess the question is, is the market big enough to to support it? Do, do teams even care? Does a team like the Canucks care if they make a profit off their AHL franchise? I don't think that should matter. What I really look at here is when you look at the, the location of most of the Pacific Division teams now, there's a concentration in the Southwest. You've, you've got Tucson. You've got Henderson. You've got uh, Palm Springs coming online. You've got San Diego. You've got Ontario. Uh, I think I just hit them all, but if you add if you add Prescott Valley, you're talking about six teams in a really tight area. Travel is a big deal in the AHL. It's a big concern both from a cost standpoint and from you know fatigue standpoint. This could really make sense for Vancouver on a lot of fronts.
1: Yeah, I, I can only imagine that. The- it's it's the right move to get out of Utica. And you look at the Coyotes had a team in Portland, Maine, and Springfield, Massachusetts. It doesn't work. And it doesn't work for the parent club because when you need a kid or there's an injury, it is an all-day travel, and you rarely can get a person there unless you find out at 5 in the morning that you can get a kid there in the same day. Here in Tucson, this has been an unbelievable arrangement um, for the Coyotes. Now, having said that, the difficulty for Vancouver, I know their fans want to see a team in Canada. They want to see a team in Kelowna or Abbotsford. Absolutely. You do. There's just nobody to play there. So every game you have to cross the border and you'd have to fly. And you talk about costs. I don't think the coyotes look at the road runners to be a revenue generator. I don't think they look at them for ticket sales. I think they just look at them as a place to develop their players. Um, now, along with that, most important instead of revenues is costs if that team can bus and, and they have bused this entire season during the covid shortened season so well i wouldn't to the whole season they had a few flights but if you moved a team to prescott valley and able to bus to several cities what a cost savings that is to vancouver and even if they needed to call someone up the flight time difference from utica new york um hmm from Prescott Valley, it's it's immense. And I still concerned looking at a map and realistically the other American city that I think really has a lot of juice is going to be Salt Lake. I think they're going to have a really good push. They, you know, they, they have, they have a facility. They have a built in fan base because they've had teams, um, there in in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So that, that
2: is closer to Vancouver too. So that that it does help a little bit. Direct
1: flights and and so forth. I see that one. Maybe you've got the Colorado Eagles close by. You're still closer. You're still in the States. So competing in this Southwest division makes sense. I'd love to see a team in Prescott. I think that would be fantastic. I think the rivalry between, you know, Tucson and Prescott would be a a great selling tool for the league. I hope it happens. I'm just a little skeptical, and my gut feeling says it's going to be Salt Lake City. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: A couple of Coyotes notes. We talked about the Connor Garland injury, and obviously that's going to be tough to replace on the fly here down the stretch when offense has been the issue. Um, Ilya Labushkin signed up, though, for another year. I mean, you, they don't have a lot of players signed for a while. So you start to look at the core of this team and we've talked about it in the past and we can get more into it with the expansion draft obviously coming up here in uh what basically 3 months till the expansion draft. Um the core of this team was built by a former GM. So like Bill Armstrong is not necessarily as tied to these guys, but there's only five or six players right now signed past next year on this entire Coyotes active roster. Yeah. It's five. It's, it's crazy.
2: And, and Labushkin with the signing, it's just a one-year deal and you look at it and you say, okay, that satisfies their need to have, have a defenseman to expose in the expansion draft. And that may be the play here right now um, because he, you didn't want to expose Jacob Chikrin, obviously. No, but You were in a situation where he was the only guy you could expose before. So they've got Labushkin under contract. They may add other players. We'll see, you know, maybe they bring Alex Goligosky back on a short-term deal. I don't think that's out of the question now And a, if you had asked me a month ago, I, I would have told you you were nuts. But we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, you're right, Luca. When you when you look down the road, I I don't. The slate is clean, really, for the Coyotes. They've got a, a handful of players under contract, but beyond that, I have no idea what this franchise is going to look like in two years.
1: Yeah, this is a longer-term plan than you've seen on paper in this organization in a long time. With the avail- avail- cap space availability, cash availability, and roster spot availability, it's going to be real interesting. Bill Armstrong has a lot more latitude than you've seen with the last two general managers um because of all of those issues. What direction they go. Gosh, you know, I don't know. I know they think their window is probably not in the next year or two. Um, So maybe it's an opportunity to get some draft picks and younger players. But but one of the things they're going to have to address is is who to expose in the upcoming um, expansion draft to Seattle. And and I know. Coyotes fans are going to be really glued to who they expose. Keep in mind, only one player off that off that list and off this roster is going to go away. It's just one guy, and and I know you hate to lose a player that you're in love with, but it's not going to it's not going to be a dramatic issue like like fans may think it is. And like Lebushkin, they had to to put up because they need to meet requirements on exposing a defenseman with a certain number of games. My gut feeling after looking at some of the defensemen that will be available, I do not think Seattle will take a defenseman out of Arizona. I don't think Labushkin's going to be the guy. Um, and I think the same thing of their goaltending. I don't think, uh, Kemper or Hill will be the guy that gets plucked to go to Seattle. I think you're going to see a forward. Um, I think that's where they're going to have to expose the most, uh, players, as it were. And I, and I think that's where you're going to see, um, the Kraken take a Coyote is up front. Hmm.
0: I guess along those lines, I mean, when you talk about this team needing offense in these final nine games, where is it supposed to come from? You know, you look at Clayton Keller, and the three goals in the last 16 games are concerning, obviously. But I tell you, the the stat that really throws me off with him, two assists in the last 12 games, that to me is the one element of his game. We've talked about this on the show in the past. He doesn't necessarily do – uh, some other things on the ice so you need him to produce I mean he's there to produce he's not there to be a defensive forward or to take face or to win puck battles in the corners he's there to produce offense to me the goals are are streaky with him but I always thought the assists would be pretty consistent and they just haven't
2: been no they've, they've got concerns there they've got concerns from a lot of their key players lately I mean Christian Dvorak I know he scored last night but He hasn't been productive. Uh, I don't think Nick Schmaltz has done enough. That so-called Rat Pack, those fourth and fifth year guys, they just haven't been producing in crunch time. And and again, Bill Armstrong said this was going to be an evaluation period. He wanted to see how these guys performed in this particular situation. Well, guys aren't stepping up. And we, we already know that there are holes on this roster, and maybe having those players around would help these guys succeed more. But he wanted to see these players in particular take the bull by the horns and They have not during the last seven of eight games.
1: I think a lot of those issues up front over time need to be addressed. Those are bigger issues of they need to get top six forwards that can put the puck in the net. What happens over the next nine games? Clearly, you you can't readjust the whole roster in nine games. So you are going to have to look at things and find goals from different places. And what they've been lucky is they've had that little – jolt in the arm from a different player at different points throughout the season. And right now that's bunting. It's Peterson. Um, you get those little bursts of energy where you find it from somewhere else. Chikrin went on a little bit of a tear. Um, you just have to hope that that you get two or three players on one of those streaks in the next nine games. Um, could it be Kessel again? You know, maybe, maybe Galagowski starts putting assists uh, in, in, in succession here. I, I don't know who it's going to be, but that's what they're going to need. I I don't think it's going to be someone that, you know, I don't see Keller getting two goals a night every night for the next nine. It's going to be a variety of players just chipping in and getting scoring from everybody. Honestly, that's the the only chance they have to make the playoffs. They're going to distribute that scoring, and you're going to see guys that aren't always on the score sheet showing up at key times in the next nine games.
2: It's a real challenge, though. I mean, you've got guys like, you know, know, Lane Peterson – John Hayden, Dryden Hunt in the lineup. You're probably not going to get much production from those guys. Let's let's be honest.
0: It's oh, got to be right. frustrating. It's got to be frustrating, though, because they this, this team really is playing hard. Like, yeah. I, I mean, they, they're playing harder. And those guys, it's those guys coming in. It's even a guy like Keller. I, I feel like he is doing everything he can to impact the game on the other end of the ice now more so than maybe he was in his second year in the league. You know what I mean? So – You want to see that rewarded.
1: I want to see how they respond in their next game, because when you play a game like you did last night against Minnesota, where everything, you know, you threw everything, but the kitchen sink at the goaltender, you played well, you skated well, you got to lose pucks. You had a really good game and you, end up on the losing side of that, that can be difficult to get up for the next game. I mean, it it could be the level of frustration is going to rise over these last nine games unless they taste some kind of success. So you've got the Kings on Saturday. That's a game. That first period is going to be critical that they come out with the same kind of intensity and speed that they came out with uh, against the Wild last night. That first period for Coyotes fans on Saturday is going to be a a huge indicator of, of how this team is going to finish.
0: Uh, Craig, real quick, before we get into questions, anything on Dimitri Ashton you want to pass along?
2: I'm just curious uh, what what's going to happen here. And there was a report out of Russia that the Coyotes were about to sign him to a one-year deal, but I reached out to both his agent and Bill Armstrong, and they both told me they're they're having discussions, but his agent Alain Roy told me, they're talking to several teams and they're going to take their time making a decision. I do think he's coming back to the NHL. He was obviously a, a pretty high draft pick for the blues while Armstrong was the director of amateur scouting there. So they have a relationship. Um I don't think you're going to see this sort of productivity that he's having in the KHL and the NHL, but they look at him as sort of a, an upgrade up to their bottom six. He can skate, he can protect the puck. He, he can provide you with some scoring. He's got size. So, he might be a good addition if they can bring him aboard. And again, I would, I would expect this to be a short-term deal.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know, and I, again, the leagues are so different in how the game is played. But you can see, like we talked about, Kaprizov in Minnesota, he was one of the top scorers in that league, and it's translated well here. Um, Jaskin isn't that dynamic of a player, like a crook. Kaprizov, um, his numbers have been great here, but you go back to his, his numbers the last three years that he was here in North America, they, they weren't very strong um, and they were with good high-scoring teams. So there is a concern, you know, did he develop his game? Is, is is he matured more as a player and a person? I think he's still going to be an NHL player. And you're right. You're talking about upgrades to your bottom six. Then I think he fits. I think he's still a big body that works hard, that can add a little bit of offense. But to think he's going to translate his KHL numbers into NHL numbers, I think for fans is going to be a little bit of a stretch. Um, but I think he's going to be a good addition wherever he lands Uh but in the bottom six.
2: Yeah, one of the things that Bill said to me is like, look, it's not going to translate. I think the Coyotes think it could be like a, maybe a 15-goal score, upside 20, probably not going to get that high. But, you know, part of the problem with the K, of course the the ice surface is different, but uh, a lot of those players that go to the KHL, they get used to playing on the outside, then you got to readjust to, okay, goals are not scored there in the NHL. You have to go back inside, and a lot of those guys just don't want to do it after
0: basically having an easier life in the K. Yeah. And to give people just a reference point of what we're talking about, his numbers in the NHL, 303 games, 27 goals, 69 points, as opposed to the KHL, where he has 69 goals and 123 points in just 117 games. So, uh, yeah, if if he was going to produce like that at the NHL level, he would be in the NHL making a ton of money. But I mean, I think he could be somebody through the Coyotes. And we just talked about how it's really a blank slate going forward, other than maybe a couple guys. Maybe a piece like that that you're able to sign if you can get him relatively cheap and he ends up maybe being a 15 to 20 goal guy on your third line or whatever, that's that's not the worst piece to, to add in there with maybe a little bit of upside.
1: And those are the kind of players you need to, if you want to compete in the playoffs. I mean, those are the guys that, that fill a role and go up and down like Taylor Pyatt here or, you know, a, a Dick Panic or Carl so- Soderbergh. Those kind of players that are NHL players, not too dynamic. They just fill a role and they can eat minutes and they don't hurt you. And, and I feel I think, like
2: I need to say Dickie Panique every time I
1: say I know. Say I know. I, but but, he, but he, he is an NHL player, and, and I think in the right role, he's a guy that can help a team. All
0: right, let's get to some of these listener questions, and we will start with Joseph. What's the biggest effect a good versus bad head coach can have during a game? What's the biggest difference you all have seen a coach do, be it Joel Quenville, Rick Tockett, et cetera?
1: Well, I've had this discussion with head coaches over dinner many times on on how important a head coach is in this league because I think you have a group of elite coaches, meaning four or five guys that are really good. You probably have three or four guys that are maybe a little inexperienced or not quite as solid. And then everybody else you could put into a bag, shake them up and put them with a different team and they'd still be as successful as they would with another coach. And I know that's really minimizing the role, but that's games one through 82, where you see an NHL coach succeed and thrive and where they make a difference is in the playoffs when you need to make adjustments not just every game, but every period. And I think that's where you see the coaches separate themselves in the playoffs. So in a regular season game, what I've seen over time is what that coach and how they address the players. Um, you know, Jim Schoenfeld, when I first started off here, he was aggressive. He was loud. He was angry. And he motivated players by communicating to them that way that has shifted so far from that now where you get a guy like Dave Tippett who is you know it's it's more complimentary more you know carrots than sticks. And I think Rick Tockett may have that persona that he's a, he's a tough guy, but inside the locker room, that's not who Rick Tockett is. I mean, he's, he's a guy that is there patting these guys on the back and he really wants to improve and help his players. And that's how he's going to get the most out of the players that he has is by being more complimentary, more helpful, more on their side, more, Hey, I've been there before. This is what you can do. Um, I think that type of coach especially in today's game, is much more effective than a yellow screamer. I, I still see a few yellow screamers in the league. I just don't know how much longer they'll be there. I, I don't know if that answered the question, though.
2: I think it did. I mean, I wanted to leave that to you entirely because you've been in the room. So you have infinitely more, insi- uh, infinitely more insight on this than we do. The one thing that when you were talking about the playoffs, and I, I saw this because I was a Blackhawk fan, and look, no coach is going to win championships with uh, – a highly deficient roster. They can they can do things like Dave Tippett did here in Arizona, and and get a team farther than most people think they can. But they're not going to win titles. But when you have that talent around you, and then you you have that ability on the bench to make those sorts of adjustments from period to period or game to game, I really really saw it with Joel Quinville during the the height of the Blackhawks run. They, he was so good at that. He was such a good good bench coach, and it was so obvious during the postseason. It was it was enjoy, as enjoyable to watch as the team on the ice to me.
1: Yeah, and I think you're right, Craig. You can have teams that are, are very good hockey teams. And they don't win, and you can have very good teams that do win and and oftentimes a coach is is the difference i mean Scotty Bowman, who some consider a, a rain man type coach that he's he's a brilliant hockey mind, he knows how to run a bench he had outstanding teams all along the way but he was able to manage them on the bench that allowed them the opportunity to win stanley cups so it's not just the talent of the players the coach is important to get those things to happen i just think their role game one through 82 there's bigger factors there's rest there's games three and four there's injuries there's a hot goaltender so games one through 82, you know, the head coaching matchup is a lot less important than it does become in a playoff series. Not that it's not important. It's just less important. There's other factors that are larger during games one through 82, or in this case, one through 56.
2: Luke, are you looking at this as like interpretive
1: dance, what we're witnessing with Steve right now? I know my back. (laughs) I'm 53 years old. My back's killing me. So I can't sit in this chair anymore. I got to stand up.
0: No, I, I, respect that for sure. Um, I would just piggyback on what you guys said. I mean, I think obviously it, it's, it, yeah, you see, you see the truly great coaches. You, you notice their impact more over the course of the seven game playoff series. Craig, you mentioned Joe Quenville. I mean, I, I, feel like the year, the year Pittsburgh won the Stanley cup against San Jose, the year when Pittsburgh had no defense and Mike Sullivan was just playing matchups and mixing and matching and, and taking advantage of having the last change around home ice and we've seen it. We've seen it. There's not really a lot of successful teams over the last decade or so that didn't have good coaching to win the cup. I would add two things. One thing that is impressive to me from a coach in today's game is if they've been doing this for a while and they've been successful for years and years, like Joel Quenville, like Dave Tippett, um, like John Tortorella, guys that have been doing this through different generations, and they have that ability to be the guy that PD was talking about You know, 15, 20 years ago. They could be that guy that yells at guys in the locker room and motivates them that way, and now they've adjusted and they're still good coaches with a completely different generation where maybe you can't be as aggressive vocally. So there's that, and I also, I would say this, and I think we've seen this firsthand at times. Really, I think probably fans of most teams can think of an example with their team. If you want your coach to be successful, it's not—it's not just okay. Give him McDavid and Crosby and Matthews. Like, yeah, that'll help. But give them the sort of pieces on those third and fourth lines or wherever that fit their coaching style. Like when St. Louis won a couple of years ago, I felt like the Blues had guys. It was a very good team, obviously, but like the Craig Berube, he wanted certain guys in certain situations, and he had them. It's not always just the star players. And you see some teams around the league where the coach just doesn't even have those guys to work with, and he's kind of floundering. You know um let's here i have a uh craig sent this one so this is from robert see i'm going i'm getting every question this week craig this is the email you sent me last week it was question for steve this is from robert many times the coyotes are stuck in their end defending against an overpowering team that just pummels the goalie we sit there and scream get it out of there and finally they do they skate the puck to the blue line and dump it in for a line change Explain the tactics of the line change, essentially.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I I forgot how this got emailed to me. It's like, why why don't you make changes in the defensive zone? I, 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 you see how talented these teams are offensively right now. If you take one defender away from that equation, you have absolutely no chance to defend. You cannot change in the defensive zone. Period. I I I can only think of one example, and that is when you a forward that is near the blue line in the first and third periods when he's near the bench and he doesn't have a stick. That is the only time you can change a player in the defensive zone. You cannot leave a player unprotective in the defensive zone for more than a second, or that is going to be a scoring opportunity for the offensive team. Um, I know it's frustrating. It's frustrating for the coaches. That'll be a, a mantra coming in between periods. We defended so much. We can't generate any, any offense because we're changing all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw it in the game last night against Minnesota. There were, there were poor changes and they laid to goals against. And I know, you know, Jason Demers changes, doesn't have a stick. He can't defend properly in his mind. He's, I got to get off the ice. Well, that leads to an odd man rush against and a puck ends up in the net um changing is an art and not only do you need to change at the right time the players coming onto to the ice not only need to be ready to go one of the biggest pet peeves i have is when a player is putting in his mouth guard or change you know flipping his stick around or, or adjusting his helmet getting onto the ice you need to hit the ice ready to play and, and I and i don't know that's a that's a mindset to be ready not only know who you're changing for know where you're supposed to go but we do preparation before a game on where you need to go on a line change it's part of every training camp if you're the first guy on the ice you fill the middle of the ice then we're going to go to the wide lane you need to know where you go because you're most often changing through the neutral zone and you cannot leave any of those lanes open um so, yes, you actually go through drills in practice where you do line changes. Guys get on the bench, dump the puck over, let's change. So we can get out into our defensive structure coming out of the box. Um, I know it's frustrating for fans to watch teams get tired in the defensive zone with, you know, bent over and straight legged. I know it's hard, um, but you cannot leave that situation. Even if you're just standing by your opponent, you're covering him better than if you go for a change for one fresh player.
0: Is there anything that frustrates a coach more
1: than the too many men on the ice penalty? Yeah, and this this team this season, the Coyotes have, I'd like to see a stat on it. They have more too many men on the ice penalties than I can recall in recent years. And I know as a fan and a broadcaster, I've seen that too. It's well, the coach, the coach, another, it's not the coach. The coach says your line is up next and then the coach watches the game. So it's the responsibility. The onus is on that player. It, it is unbelievable how many times it's happened to this team this season.
0: Yeah. I just, I think as a coach, nothing would, would drive me more, uh, more to anger quickly. And I know Rick Talk had brought it up a few times earlier this season where he's like, look, I basically what you just said, PD, I've done what I can. They have to know when they're supposed to go out there. Yeah. Um, okay. CWP. Which coyote do you think would make the best guest host on Jeopardy? <laughs> I like this
2: question. I remember this. I have a few thoughts. Actually, we just mentioned Jason Demers. He, he's definitely a candidate on this list yeah. because of that kind of personality. Christian Fisher would be another one. And if yep. you wanted the guy with the biting sarcasm that you didn't expect, I, I might choose Connor Garland too.
1: Well, intelligence wise, it's Connor Garland. I tell you, that kid is a very smart, well-read. Yeah, He's, he's, he's on top of, of current events. He's a, he's a really bright kid. Um, but personality wise, in that room, it's Jason Demers. Um, whether you like it or not. And sometimes I know the coaches don't always love his boisterous personality, um, at, at different times. And, and, and uh, he, he doesn't always know when to rein it in. Um, but he's a really entertaining and energetic guy. And I thought one time I, I recall the team was in Vegas and he was hurt. And, um, the coaching staff, Rick talk was looking for a boost of energy, um, in the room, it felt kind of dead and quiet. So every game before the game, the, the coach hands a player the starting lineup on a piece of paper, and a player reads the starting lineup. You try to give it to a kid that's either from that city or has some affiliation with the team you're playing, played there before, so forth. Well, the room had been dead. we were tired. It was tired. a tough series. Um, we were just finishing up a long trip in Vegas, so we dialed him in on um, virtually and put them on the big screen TV in the locker room unannounced to the players to read the starting lineup. And so we open the big doors and there's JD at home and he is screaming at the top of his lungs, the starting lineup and no joke, the Coyotes go out and win the game in Vegas. So his personality, it's, it just gives you that burst of energy. So I know God, I get carried away here, but he's the guy, sorry.
0: Yeah, I, so you can't really argue with Jason Demers and, and my second choice would have been Christian Fisher too. Um, yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, if we go all time, we'll be here all day talking about possibly oh, good grief. So. <laughs> um, Paul, any idea who gets protected in the expansion draft and who is your gut feeling that gets taken by the Kraken?
1: We, we, I think we just went over that all actually. So,
0: well, we did a lot of it off the air, but yes, I mean, we, we did I a little think. bit on the air.
1: I think, uh, I think as I said, during I, I think the goalies and, the, and defensemen are probably okay, and it's going to be a forward. And if I had to guess right now, somebody we just brought up to host Jeopardy, I think Christian Fisher is a guy uh, and oh, oh, potentially Lawson Krause. I think those are the two you're going to look at, um, depending on who they protect. I would say one of those is most likely and probably Christian Fisher.
0: Uh, Booper. For Petey, how does one become a video coach? And was it what you planned on doing when you first started coaching?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, ironically enough, it really was what I planned on doing. I played when I was in high school, playing for my high school team. We had VCR machines, and I made a music video for my high school team. It was my first experience of. Editing a video and it was two VCRs hooked together. It was a pain in the rear end. Um, when I went to college, I, I played hockey at the University of North Dakota. I didn't play much. I was on the bench or in the press box for most watching of the Eddie games Belfour. watching Eddie Belfort. Yeah. And I know, yeah, you know, those are another story for another time, but, it, um, I, I, I really gravitated to, to video then again, VHS. I applied to NHL teams back in 1990 to be a video guy and I keep in a file folder at my desk to this day, the rejection letters I got from teams at that time, not knowing that eight years later I'd finally get my chance. So yes, it was something I always wanted to do. Now the path to get there is much, I I say easier now because everybody has a video coach. College teams have them. Junior teams have them. There are paths to get there. You, you, you do it just like you become a player. You, You do it in college. You do it at the junior level. You do it in the American League, and eventually you get here. My path was extremely different because they just didn't exist when I started. I started in 97. I knew Bobby Smith through Minnesota Connections. We're both from Minnesota. I moved to Arizona to get away from the cold weather. I wanted a job. Talked to Bobby. He said, we don't have anything. There's no openings. Sorry. Um, Two weeks later, the video guy quit. Two weeks before training camp, he called me. He said, "Do you want to be a video guy?" And I said, "Yeah, I'll be there tomorrow." And literally started the next day, and I was there for 23 years because a kid quit in August. So, yeah,
2: I feel like Cooper didn't read the athletic story I wrote on you. I yeah, <laughs> clearly, I was a little insulted. This was all in the story. And by the way, can you can you just since we're talking about tapes, <laughs> yeah. Can you tell the ceiling tile story? Because it's one of my favorite parts of the story. It was so good.
1: Well, and it goes back to all of these things. I was thinking last night as I was watching the Coyote game, and we talked about scoring chances and how easy it is to collect data now on video. Oh, I want to see the scoring chances a coach could come in for the last five games. You literally click a button, and you can see all that. When I started in 1987, I had a roll of VHS machines, and I had a clipboard and a piece of paper, and I would write scoring chances, Then 1852 1852 of the second, scoring chance against. And then I would go through the entire game, watch all the scoring chances against, then I'd rewind it, go through all the scoring chances for, rewind it, go through all the power plays. It took me an incredible amount of time to come up with that data, but... The other thing is we didn't have direct TV. There wasn't satellites. There wasn't internet downloads. You you wanted a game. You needed to physically get it on a VHS tape. So if we were traveling from Minnesota to St. Louis, I can't, there's no way I can tape the game. I I, I can't get it because we're in the air. I can't record it in the hotel or in the locker room. I can't record it. So what we did as a, Video guy union is you would call the opponent. Let's say St. Louis is playing in Minnesota. We're playing Minnesota next. I would call the St. Louis video guy, say, hey, I need a copy of that game tonight because we're coming in there tomorrow. Well, great. You can't give a little thumb drive like you can now. Again, doesn't exist. So they would tape either VHS tape or by the time it got to DVDs, it was much easier. And you would hide it in the visiting coach's room because you know the equipment guy for the Minnesota Wild was going to go through the room and clean up the room and if there's a videotape or a DVD sitting there, he would take it and throw it away. So you would leave it in Conspicuous places. It's in the third ceiling tile from the left in the corner. <laughs> and, and if you think I'm kidding, that I'd roll into a city and I'd get a ladder and I'd be moving ceiling tiles to get VCR and DVDs out of the ceiling. Okay. Absolutely true story. And I think of all the games I recorded from inside the back of a bar at a restaurant, it was the only bar in town that had the sports package. Or I I bribed a Bus boy at a hotel with a Keith Kachuk stick to have him tape the game at home. Those things back then, it was such a stressful time. How am I going to get that game? Now it's I get access to every game, every day, every night, just the push of a button. It's unbelievable how much that has changed.
0: That's fantastic. Uh, I go by H now. I miss Jamie Eisner. Do you miss Jamie Eisner? Well, that's easy. No. Um, <laughs> let me wow. That, but, wow. Uh... Jamie Eisner left us. We didn't. Who? Who? Yeah, exactly. I, for some, I, this is not a Jamie Eisner burner account because this is actually I, I go by H now. Usually he uh, tweets in pretty good questions, but I feel like Jamie may have paid them off. This wow. Time. Uh, Graham writes in, complete opposite side of the spectrum. This is Graham Taylor writing in. Main question: How is Steve Peter still not on the podcast artwork? Okay, we've okay, had, had that I'm discussion.
1: We've had that we've discussion. Had movie, I I it's mean. coming, right? Well.
0: Yeah, Craig is Craig is not working on it. He's going much more slowly than I anticipated. <laughs> I, I will say this. I'm gonna You watch Nick Figures, I can get it to you today. <laughs> um somebody did send us one like two years ago, and I wanna say the guy's name was Chris. And if he wants to send it again, if he's cool with us using it, it was a very good logo. And this was, course, is how we roll here. We have yeah. other people do our work for us. <laughs> but I mean, he would have to alter it. I, I don't know where it is. I went looking through the, the, the old emails and the old DMs and I assume Jamie took it and blew it up into a poster and it's on his wall in Chicago and he just stares at it every day and cries. But we could use that logo, except obviously with Petey's name in there instead of Jamie. So Chris, if you're out there and that's your name, and you're cool with us using that. Can you send it again? Otherwise I am working on something, but it's gonna take a while.
2: Also, if anyone else wants to create it for us, we're we're open to that too, because we we have no
0: shame. That's true. <laughs> That's absolutely uh Coach East Jack, who was the biggest disappointment in your view? Wow, this is a very, very random and specific question. Who is the biggest disappointment in your view? Brandon Gormley, Mark Byzantine, or Henrik Samuelson? Ooh. Wow. Three names I did not expect to hear today. I feel sorry for Mark
2: Visintin because he got he had injuries and they yeah. they really derailed his career. So I wouldn't remove him from the mix.
0: Boy, Gormley was supposed to be a top five pick. I remember that year, or he was at least top five talent in a lot of uh, scouting reports. And the Coyotes got him at twelve
1: yeah. or thirteen.
2: It was just, just probably not a good probably not good scouting there. I, I, here's I won't make Petey answer this one because. He, he I got uh, yeah. I've got a
1: thought. I've got a thought. I'll be but gentle.
2: Samuelson um, would probably be my choice because I don't think he did the things that you have to do to commit to becoming a pro.
1: <laughs> you know, when you look at, at high draft picks, all three of the guys mentioned here, it's it's, it's all disappointing. I mean, you, you wanted so much more. They're, they're so different in what they were supposed to bring to this franchise. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Samuelson, to me, was a player, big, strong. I was excited to see him get drafted by a team. I'd worked with his dad. Great kid, great family. I wanted him so badly to succeed. And it's just unfortunate the way that path went for him. Um, the one, as a Coyote staff member, that disappoints me the most is Byzantine. Um, you draft a goalie in the first round, you better be sure, and they better help you you know, Mark Andre Fleury, Carey Price, they're supposed to get you to the next level, they are supposed to be there for a decade, they're supposed to pull this team to the promised land and he just wasn't the guy. Um nice kid, liked him. I think he was a skilled goaltender, but we we, we sat as a coaching staff in Colorado watching the World Junior Championships, Canada versus Russia. I sat next to Dave King who wore his team Canada golf shirt Canada had a 5-2 lead in the third Byzantine and net saying Russia doesn't have the ability to come back here well they did and Byzantine had a really tough third period and we all looked at each other and go "Uh uh-oh how is he going to come back from this one Mm -hmm. and you know what he didn't he got he was vilified in the press in Canada He, he took a lot of the blame for that loss and it was a set him back years and and it's too bad because if he doesn't play that game maybe he has a different career I don't know um but he is the guy that I thought drafted that high should have had the biggest influence on the direction of this franchise
0: uh Eldon Barton and Adam Olshansky asking they're getting to the same point or same place I guess with very different questions Eldon Eldon's a little more um pessimistic if if they make the playoffs if the Coyotes make the playoffs what's the point against some of these top teams but Adam's question is essentially what's the message from a coaching staff if you make the playoffs like let's say the Coyotes make the playoffs and they play Colorado in round one what's your message to the players when that's a team you've had a lot of uh, a lot of struggles against not only this season, but last year in the playoffs.
1: Well, it's going to be just what we talked about. That's where the coach makes the difference. It's going to be that game plan. You have to give those players hope. You have to, you know, it's going to be us against the world. It's David Goliath, all of those things to motivate those players. And you have to give them something system wise or structure wise or game plan wise that they can really grab onto, um, that they can focus on to get their attention away from the Oh my gosh, we're in trouble here to, okay, if I do this, if I get the puck in deep and I make body contact on my car, every time I'm on the ice, I'm helping us. I have a chance to help us win. So it's those little details that I think the coaching staff can present to them in a game plan and also as a motivational tool to help them hang on to something. And I think that's where, you know, the coaching cream rises to the top.
0: Uh, let's go, Dangle, Snipe, Belly. Since PD seems to have taste in beer, which beer is his favorite of all time? And how many total podcasts is Luke hosting now? And why haven't Craig or PD been on them yet? Um, I have lost track of the number of podcasts I'm hosting. I know I'm doing three today.
1: Are you seriously? Yeah. <laughs> How do you find the time, Luke? Like, I I know it, it doesn't look like Craig prepares for these, but I spend a lot of time preparing <laughs> for, for these, and I don't know how I could prepare for three of them. That's absolutely incredible. And I, let's get back to beer. I'm on Amazon right now, so you guys go ahead. <laughs> I'm kidding about that, Craig. I'm kidding. Um
2: I apologize. It takes the, it takes
1: the, same we go, we go beer wise. My ghost, my go to. It's always going to be Guinness because it's consistent. You can get it the same everywhere. However, I'm going to go to a British Columbia beer called Gypsy Tears. It's, wow. it's, it's an Irish red. Oh, man. Fantastic I beer. I'm going
2: to try this beer now because that's right up my alley. Yeah, it's
1: brewed by Parallel 49. It's called Gypsy Tears. You can find it anywhere in Western Canada.
2: Can't get it in the U.S. Though, Can't get anymore. it in the
1: States right now. I've yeah. tried every beer store in town. Still have yet to find Gypsy Tears.
0: Mm. Okay. We're gonna have to do a a natural hat trick on remote from uh, Western Canada at some point, so we
1: can. Yeah, we'll get into it, and I think Craig and I are on the same. It's Irish and Irish Reds ales. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to put together my restaurant list right now. I started it uh, this week, restaurants and beers across the NHL.
0: Uh, Greg, this is I believe this is the Greg who did the Natty Hattie bingo card a couple years ago. So his question always gets again. By the way, he what?
2: We need to do that again,
0: by Yes, the way. we do. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, he says, any chance you see the Coyotes getting in on Eichel if he's available this summer? He's the number one center we've never had and should have had in 2015. If not using Craig's crystal ball, any way too early top-line centers that could be available? I mean, they never are. No. <laughs> they really never are. <laughs> I mean, Jack
2: Eichel might be available. I think Buffalo should move him. I know Petey has thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think he's a coyote. I, I don't think he fits. I don't think it's the right time for Jack Eichel. I think he doesn't fit into the mix in the room. Great player, high high end skill guy. He's, he's gonna, he, I think he'll get traded. Craig would know more. I don't know if he's got a no trade or a no move or a list. Um, I would I think highly he'll wave it. I don't think Arizona would be on that short-term list because he's going to want to go somewhere where he thinks he can win in the very near future, and I just don't think that's here. Um, and I haven't had a chance to look at what the free agent market at center ice is going to be, but that has been a critical need here for so long. Um, I just I don't think it's going to be Jack Eichel.
2: Next season is the last season before Eichel's no-move kicks in. so.
1: Mm. Oh, Okay. I just don't think that's a fit financially. I don't think that's the guy for right now here in Arizona.
0: Yeah. Caleb uh, writes in: Will we ever see Liam Kirk in a Coyote sledder? Also, I'd love to know your thoughts on the Coyotes' most underrated prospect. And do you have any advice for a college kid thinking about getting into sports journalism? Love the show. Thanks, guys.
1: Is that uh, for my son, by the way? The uh,
0: it's, no. Possibly. Oh, I mean, maybe a burner account.
1: Yeah. He's needs a job, but, by the way. My son needs a job, Luke. If you're hiring anywhere, oh, anything, <laughs> just. <don't know. laughs> I you, podcasts,
0: yeah, it? I think you misunderstand. you think I have the hiring power in any of these
1: jobs? <laughs> uh,
2: of, I do not think he's a high, high prospect for the Coyotes. I'll, I'll just say that one outright. I know he's had some success in the O, and maybe he could surprise, but I just don't see them being that high on their radar.
1: Yeah, you know what? Another really good kid, does things the right way, works hard, prepares you. you never want to say no, or you don't want to say it can't happen. Um, he's the guy that works hard enough and is a good enough person that I don't want to say no to it. it. It's going to be a big hill for him to climb right now. Yeah.
0: I, you know, I just noticed that on Graham's question, Craig wrote back, Craig Morgan on the show, and said it's all Luke's fault. So I you know, <laughs> don't think I don't notice that, Craig. That? <laughs> and then also, much much love to Justin Lisenby, who wrote back and said, no, no, hashtag blame Jamie. See, Justin gets how it goes on this show. We can we still can blame Jamie. Say, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, well, the other parts of that question, so like advice for journalism. Oh, so? yeah.
2: Yeah. I have advice. Yeah. Run, run away.
1: And no, and I, <laughs> that is, a, and I, and I ingest, my son literally is graduating with a degree in journalism in a month. What do you do? I mean, papers don't exist. So like, he enjoys, you know, photojournalism, but he said, dad, can't work there. So what does somebody do? So I, I'm going to listen, I'm going to shut I, up. And listen. I,
0: I would say at least on uh, from my end, just know you're probably going to have to do some work for free towards the beginning. One of the toughest transitions, you shouldn't be doing all your work for free, but one of the toughest transitions is knowing when you can kind of flip that. And cause you don't want to be getting taken advantage of where people are like, Oh, we can get, we can get uh Kalen to do it for free all the time. But at the beginning, you're going to have to do more work than you're getting paid for. Um I would say, go into it with a plan. Like the more specific you can be is good, but don't be like rigid on that. You know what I mean? Like be willing to do, like if you want to do photojournalism, also be willing to do, you know, writing for a website or social media or TV or whatever. Like be willing to to take any opportunity that comes your way and kind of figure out what you want to do. But you just got to be careful. It's It's all walking a fine line. You don't want to end up in a part of this field you don't want to be in and be stuck in it. Because as great as this field is, and it's great for a million reasons, the schedules are the schedules rough. So you don't want to be stuck doing something you don't like in there.
2: Yeah, and acquire those skills too, right? Acquire as many skills as you can so that you yeah. are versatile and, and have the ability to go other places. But getting back to what you said too about don't be rigid. The same goes for writers. I, I, like I talked to a, a number of writers, like how do how can I cover the NHL out of college? Well, chances are you can't. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you do it for a free site or just next to nothing. For pay. Yeah. I mean, this is where everyone wants to go in the business. So to expect that you're going to be able to cover the NHL or the NFL or the NBA right out of college, that doesn't happen for ninety nine percent of journalism graduates. You have to take a lower level job like when I was coming up. Everybody went through preps. You had to cover high school sports. And and work your way up, uh, prove that you, you know, could perfect the writing, perfect clean copy, all the things that you need to do, your reporting skills. You had to prove all of that on a a lower level. And it, it was, it was useful. It was very helpful because as anybody who's covered high school sports will tell you, there's no deadline that's more difficult. When I worked for the Republic, there were high school football deadlines that were literally 15 minutes after the game ended. And you still had to do your interview. So it's like, how is this even humanly possible? But somehow we found ways to do it. Or you'd have, you know, you have that, I need a 10-minute extension because I have to drive to Circle K to file my story because back then you didn't have the the, the electronics that we, we have now to be able to file a story on site. So it, it is useful in a lot of ways, but you have to understand that you're probably not going to get that dream job out of college. And if you're not okay with that, well, you probably need to look at a different profession because that's
1: reality. And, I, I would and,
0: also, oh, go ahead, Pete.
1: No, I'm just going to bring it in, in pro sports in general. I, I think, okay. you know, I can't speak to the journalism side, um, but, but if, I've rented so many people in, in in the time I worked at the coyotes that said hey I just got my sports management degree how do I get into sports management well, you don't like to get into the highest level of sports into the management office first of all there's only three or four people in there um, and I and I a sports management degree is probably not going to be the path to get you there. The, and, and I don't want to discourage people from trying to, to fulfill their dreams and get to their, where they want to be. What I would give advice to anybody that wants to work in sports is, one, you need to meet as many people as you possibly can. Don't be afraid to pick up a phone, send an email. Hey, I know this guy who knows this guy who knows this guy. That's how everybody gets a job that I know in sports. It's I know this guy who knew this guy who knew this guy, and you better be good at what you do. You better work really, really, really hard. And like Luke said, you better work cheap to start because the only people making money in pro sports are the players, the coaches, and the general manager.
2: That's a yeah. really good point, PD. Relationships are so critical, They're really, in any industry. I think relationships are so important to getting opportunities, to getting in the door, but then you have to prove yourself. And, and going one step further than that, if you proved yourself after two years, if you think you're doing good work, don't expect that big raise after two years. That's not how it works in the in the uh, industry either. Sorry, you're probably not as good as you think you are after two years. Uh, so don't be that guy or that woman that starts whining about needing a raise after two seasons because it's not happening.
1: Yeah, it's not the money. And, and it, again, I don't want to discourage anybody out there who, who wants to do this and pursue this. This was a fantastic career for me. I had such a, Amazing time. And I, I don't think I ever had a co-worker. I had family. Like that's, you don't know what it's like to work with somebody until you fly with them, eat with them, sleep with them, with them seven days a week, 24 hours a day, all the time. It is not work. It's family. And, and I think that that's where the reward comes from. Um, it's not the money. I, 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 I trust me, it is not about the money. I, I, I worked really, really, really hard for a very long time where I could actually have a career. It took a very long time. I did this because I really enjoyed going to the hockey rink every day and somebody going, this is your job. So if you have that passion, I I wish you the best of luck. I hope you can find a path to get there, but it's not easy and you just have to stick with it. And you know what? My break took me eight years to get into hockey, and I was fortunate enough to start at the National League level, and I know that happens rarely, but it was just sticking with it and staying in touch with people, getting on the phone and, and, and calling people. I do it every day right now in my life. I I pick up the phone and I talk to coaches and general managers, assistant general managers every day. I just want to stay in that loop So so when the next opportunity arises, I'm there and I'm ready. Yeah, I, I will piggyback off
0: that, and I and I could not reiterate more uh, the importance of relationships. I mean, it just it even I can only obviously speak to the the sports journalism thing, but you know, for me, like my degree isn't even in sports journalism. Somebody along the way told me you get a degree in something else and still do what you want to do. So I did that. So my degree is in psychology, but I made sure I did everything I could do in college to get experience in sports radio and writing and, and TV and that sort of stuff. And that's the stuff where. That ex- experience is invaluable. Even coming out of college as an intern, I never interned, but I would. Just, I, that's that's valuable experience too. And then along the way, is like you guys are saying, talk to everybody, ask questions, get to know people. You never know when somebody you met your sophomore year of college, you might come back around them seven years later in a completely different state. And it's not like they can get you the job. Like you have to have worked for it and you have to have the talent. But it sort of fits into that whole, be ready when opportunity knocks. And the more people you know, the more chance opportunity is going to knock. So, I mean, I think that's about the best advice we can give. And and also what Petey said, don't go into it. Like there are ways to make money, but don't go into it doing this because you want to make money or you will get weeded out within the first couple of years. That's, you have to love what you're doing. The schedule is, is the schedule and the money are about the only downsides to this job. If you love sports or whatever, I mean, but you just you got to know that going in. Um, I think that's most of them. We, we've we had a couple questions the last couple weeks about uh, Blake Spears, Craig. So you want to wrap up giving us a Blake Spears update? Uh,
2: that's what, the update.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> a Blake Spears update? I like, yeah. is he going to get a chance up here? I don't know. I just we've had. I noticed we had a question last week. We have one from non uh, non linear donut ball delivery this week, asking about Blake Spears, who of course is the other guy in the Taylor Hall trade. I mean, he just hasn't really, yeah, hasn't really moved the the needle since uh, since that trade.
1: Well, and I'm going to close to Luke because I said at the beginning that I was going to tell you what HK meant. Do it. And so this all started back with a, the original athletic therapist when I started with the Coyotes, a gentleman named Gord Hart, who came with the team from Winnipeg. Uh, cynical would would be kind. He was vicious in the room. Um, when you poke fun at your coworkers, this guy would... He'd go deep and hard, and he he those less emotionally stable people he could be really difficult with. But anyway, you would say something in a in a conversation. Hey, I went to this restaurant last night, or do you know what I did? Or look at the new car I have. He would say HK. It's like who cares HK. So you'd go HK who cares who's with a W and you go, yeah. And cares is with a C. So nobody ever got both the H and the K. So it now it has evolved. This has been around our locker room for over 20 years and it's everybody. So when you say something, you go HK, like uh, the travel guy, Hey, the bus is in 10 minutes, HK don't care. Like get out of the way. And so lastly, we were at the bubble This last fall, and you got tested every day, and it had a sign, Coyotes, A through C, you know, S through Z. And it had H through K. So it said Coyotes (laughs) HK. So I took that, I took a picture of that sign and sent it to every former employee I could get my hands on on Twitter so that they have the picture that says Coyotes HK. So that's what HK means. It's who cares.
0: I I like this. I like the idea of every time I introduce Petey, now he has to say something that he then explains an hour mm-hmm. later at the end of the
1: podcast. <laughs> but it keeps, keeps people listening. It does. That's, there we go.
0: All right, guys. This is great. As always, well, I mean, that's, that's my review. Maybe I should go review the show for Steve Peters, for Craig Morgan. I'm Luke Kapinski. Thanks for listening to the natural hat trick podcast.